What's going on, beautiful people? Welcome back to another episode of Progress, Not Perfection. I'm your host, Jeff Packman. Today, we're going to be discussing a lot of different things because it's a Q&A. That's my, that's my cool sound effect. Anyways, I hope you guys are having a beautiful week so far. And I was like, you know what? Let me get into some different questions and see what you guys are really wondering, what you guys need help with. Um, so I have one nutrition question, and then the rest of the questions are about training and cardio and strength training. So I thought this would be an interesting episode just because I mainly talk about nutrition on this podcast. But we know that you know strength training is so important. Cardio is so important for long-term health outcomes. So I actually have some recent research that I also want to share with you guys and kind of simplify it for you guys. And yeah, so let's get into it. And oh, before we get into it, I still have two spots open for coaching. So if you guys are interested, link is in the bio. You can apply there. And I also am picking a winner this upcoming Friday for whoever leaves a review on the podcast for one month of free coaching. So I'm going to pick one winner who left a, re a written review on the podcast for one month of free coaching. All you have to do is click on the name of my podcast, Progress Not Perfection. Click on the name of it. Then go to where it shows all the episodes and scroll all the way to the bottom and leave a written review. If you leave a written review, that automatically enters you to win a chance to win four, um, four weeks of free coaching with me and I will help you with your training and nutrition and get you set up and hopefully we'll have some fun and get some get some results out of it and most importantly just kind of learn and teach you how to do this whole thing sustainably. All right that's it that's my spiel let's get into today's episode. All right the first question is from Chelsea on Instagram she said how long should you be in a calorie deficit until goal reached question mark really really good question Chelsea I think that many people look at fat loss as like this forever thing it's like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna be in a calorie deficit forever until I reach my goal right let's say I weigh 250 pounds and I, I want to weigh 180 in order to reach my health goals I don't have to be in a calorie deficit that entire time and as a matter of fact being in a calorie deficit for that long is a bad idea I would argue that it's almost counterproductive to be in a calorie deficit for that long and that you should have breaks, planned breaks of maintenance or even a surplus in order to break up the monotony and the mental game of being in a deficit for that long. It's actually terribly, terribly mentally exhausting to be in a deficit for that long. Not to mention, yes, there will be some physical adaptations that happen. You know, you're in a deficit for a long time, you know. Chances are you will, you know, have some adaptation, some metabolic adaptation, but most likely what you will see is that you start to get less adherent and you get less excited and you start to kind of just burn out mentally and mentally is the hardest part of dieting the mental part, you know, the physical part is not that hard, right? Just eating a little bit less, you know, we don't recommend a unsustainable deficit. I recommend a sustainable deficit for yourself. So make sure that it's sustainable for you, that you're not feeling burnt out or hungry all of the time, but you should feel a little bit hungry some of the time. So yes, I believe that you should go through different phases, even if you have a lot of weight to lose. Let's say you have 100 pounds to lose. I still think you should go through phases of being in a deficit, 
phases of maintenance, phases of even being in a slight surplus just to let you your body know that, hey, we got more calories coming in and then go back into your deficit, right? I like taking diet breaks. I call these diet breaks. So what I will plan for a client is I will have them be in a deficit for 10 to 12 weeks. And then throughout that time period, I will schedule after that time period, I will schedule them one to two weeks at maintenance or even at a slight surplus. And this will give them a mental break from dieting. And usually I like to plan these around some sort of vacation, right? Or if a client tells me, which most of them tell me pretty short notice, hey, I've got a vacation this week or next week. Then I tell them, hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about being in a deficit. Don't worry about tracking calories. Just be mindful of what you're eating. Get in a bunch of steps and have fun. Enjoy yourself. You should not be dieting on vacation, right? That's a whole nother podcast. But usually I will use these as an opportunity to take a diet break and even take a deload from training. So you know, most of the time they're not going to be at the gym when they're on vacation in the Bahamas or Mexico or wherever the hell they're at. They're not going to be worried about lifting, right? They're just going to be getting in a lot of steps though, because when you're on vacation, you know, you want to see all the sites, you want to go tour around, you want to go get in lots of steps. And most likely you're going to be on feet quite a bit because you don't have your car. So you're going to be on, you're going to be on your feet quite a bit. And so this is a good opportunity to get in lots of steps and enjoy yourself enjoy the food. And then when you get back, get back on track. What you're going to notice when you come out of a period of maintenance or even a slight surplus is that the scale will be up considerably, right? It's not abnormal for the scale to be up five to 10 pounds after taking a two week long diet break. But what I want you to understand is that that does not mean that you gain fat. What that means is that you just gained some glycogen, some water weight, you know, a little bit more um, food in your stomach. All of this is going to lead to quite a, a large spike on the scale, but it's not fat, right? Because in order to gain one pound of fat, you have to eat 3,500 calories over your maintenance, which let's say your maintenance is like 2,500 calories. That means you have to eat close to 6,000 calories just to gain one pound of fat, right? And chances are you're not eating 6,000 calories over your, you know, what you normally eat. So that's that's how much you'd have to eat in one day to gain one pound of fat. It's probably around 6,000, five to, five to 7,000 calories for most people is what you would need to eat to gain one pound of fat, which that is a lot of calories. It's not that hard to do, especially if you're eating hyper palatable foods at restaurants, you're eating pizza, you know, you're eating burgers out, you're eating a bunch of foods from restaurants. Because coming from somebody who worked in the restaurant industry for a very long time, we cook everything in lots of oil and butter, right? And we add fat to everything. Why? Because fat equals flavor. People are not going to restaurants most likely to eat healthy. They're going to restaurants to have something that tastes amazing, that's incredible, to have an experience, right? And to get their money's worth. So when you go to a restaurant, we're trying to give the diners the best experience possible and have their food taste as amazing as possible. And fat equals flavor. And guess what? Fat has nine calories per gram, carbohydrates and protein have four calories per gram so over over twice as many calories are in one gram of fat are as are in one gram of carbohydrates and protein does that mean fat is a bad thing no it doesn't but it just means that fat equals more flavor and biologically we are we have adapted to survival right so what's going to help us survive the longest the food that has the most calories this is why foods that are the highest in fat are also the most satiating and they're the most palatable 
well, not the most satiated. They don't keep you full the longest necessarily. Protein will, but they they will make you crave the food more, right? And then you add in like a high sugar, high fat, high salt, high high carbohydrate food like French fries. Oh my God, you will be craving that food nonstop, right? Or something like a Reese's peanut butter cup, right? It's high in fat. It's high in sugar. It's a little salty. It's a little sweet. It's like this flavor bomb that makes you super addicted to it, right? So this is why we want to make sure that we are in a calorie deficit and keeping our fats in a manageable range, right? But when we're in a period of maintenance or when we're on vacation, chances are we are going to be eating hyperpalatable foods. So we're probably going to gain a little bit of body fat. But most of it's going to come from water weight, extra glycogen, and extra food in our stomach, right? So as soon as we get back into our deficit, it's not uncommon for that weight to start coming down pretty quickly. And then we start to see pretty much by like the second or third week, we're back at when we started, right? So it may take a week or two to get the scale back to where it started, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything because if you checked your measurements, most likely your measurements didn't change. So long story short, I believe that most people should be in a calorie deficit for somewhere between 10 to 12 weeks, take a one to two week diet break, and then keep going until you reach your goal. All right. Thanks for the great question, Chelsea. That was awesome. And okay, second question. Is 30 minutes per day really enough for strength training? This is from Kayla. So Kayla, great question. I personally like to train in the gym. But if you are training from home, it may be beneficial for you to do shorter bursts of exercise, shorter bursts of strength training more often. So what do I mean by this? I mean that for people who like to train at home, it's all about adherence, right? It's all about what you can stick to long term. So if 30 minutes is all you have, it's always better than nothing, right? Now, ideally, optimally, we can get you into the gym and training with some heavier weights, you know, using machines, using cable stacks, using barbells, dumbbells, you know, using, um, you know, using all of the equipment that are in the gym, right? Now, most people, when they come to me and they want to train from home, they have like 15 pound dumbbells and then they have like two pound dumbbells. And it's like, I want to work out from home. Okay, cool. How are you going to progressive overload your legs with 15 pound dumbbells? Your legs are gigantic muscles. You can squat your body weight. You can probably squat a 50 pound kid. You can probably squat a 90 pound you know, planter in your backyard. So why do you think that 15 pound dumbbells is going to be enough for your legs to start training? It may be great at first, but eventually you'll need to invest in some heavier dumbbells, some heavier weights. All right. So 30 minutes is great. If that's, if that's where you're starting, 30 minutes is great. If you're going from zero amount, zero minutes of strength training to 30 minutes of strength training, that is beautiful. And if you can do that three times a week, that is amazing. You're going to see tremendous benefits just from starting strength training, even if it's only a couple sessions, 30 minutes per week. I have some clients who I train them, I train them four or five days a week with 30 to 45 minute sessions at home, right? Now, granted, they have the equipment that I have them purchase. They have some heavier dumbbells and, and they're willing to put in the work and time and effort. So they are willing to lift a little bit heavier and they're willing to put in the work, right? So for them, I may, I may have them train four or five times a week. 
if I have a client who's going to the gym and they have the proper equipment in the gym, you know, chances are their workouts are going to be a little bit longer, but they're only going to be training about an hour uh, per session. So is there's no like real magic number. It takes as long as it takes, right? But if you're following a good program, chances are you're going to be spending three to four hours per week right, in the here gym. We go. Question number three. And then, you know, your cardio as so well. This is from Joe. Uh, separately from that. Joe so asked, what is that the biggest kind of the waste answer of time that lifting? And yes, you can see that tremendous see benefits from just training so, 30 minutes, you know, per session. Hmm. I don't know, man. I see so many bad ones, right? Like... <laughs> I hate to be that guy, right? Because I don't like going into the gym and judging other people because I know I don't like to be judged when I'm in the gym. But I do see people doing stuff that is kind of um, a waste of time. And one of the main ones that I see, especially people doing at Planet Fitness is battle ropes. And I honestly, I fucking hate battle ropes. I think they're probably one of the dumbest exercises. And especially doing battle ropes on top of a on top of a uh on top of a bosu ball is super dumb like if you have the bosu ball upside down and you're bouncing on top of it doing battle ropes like what exactly are you trying to do right like what is the training stimulus that you're trying to achieve with that it's it's probably not much right you may think that you're training your balance and your core because you have to like work your core super hard and then you're squatting down a little bit and you're doing these battle ropes it's just dumb it doesn't actually provide you with the proper stimulus for any particular muscle group it just makes you feel like you're doing a lot of work another one that i saw you know yesterday this guy was doing barbell back squats on top of a bosu ball so literally this guy was squatting and not heavy weight. He was squatting like, you know, 70 pounds on a BOSU ball. And like the guy was sweating. He was working hard, right? But here's the thing is like, what muscles are you trying to train? Are you trying to train the stabilizers in your core, your ankles, right? Or are you just trying to like give yourself a gnarly feeling of like oh i'm i'm shaking afterwards this doesn't necessarily mean that you got a good workout or that you're training hard it literally just means that you're just working muscles that you're not used to working now there are very very few instances where a this is a good idea b this actually provides any stimulus for the target muscle group so if you're trying to work your legs you'd be much better off working through a much more stable range of motion you're going to build more strength and you're going to build more muscle doing it in a stable position rather than an unstable position and then b it's also just dangerous it's dangerous as fuck people hurt themselves all of the time on these stupid ass bosu ball exercises and they're fucking stupid and they they just get people hurt they don't really do anything so that's my opinion on it. That's some of the stupidest things that I see people doing in the gym. Another one that's really dumb is burpees. Uh, most people are just just don't have the the fitness level to be doing them effectively or efficiently. And mainly, burpees are just a way to get your heart rate up. If you want to get your heart rate up, hop on an elliptical, hop on a treadmill, hop on a cycle, and get your heart rate up and do it the proper way. Don't do it through an exercise where you're basically just putting a lot of stress and pressure on your joints and it's it's honestly just another risk for injury i see people hurting themselves a lot doing burpees and honestly they're just like torture so 
that's another really dumb exercise that I see people doing. And yeah, I those are those are basically the the three that I see people doing the most. Two of them are Bosu ball exercises, and one of them, or you know, just battle ropes in general. And then another one is burpees. So another thing too is I'll say this: a lot of people are really, really not getting the most out of their time in the gym because they are not training close to failure and picking good exercises. The exercises that are going to get you the results that you want are not sexy there i don't know if you guys have seen this guy joel seedman on instagram but basically he puts these athletes through these really crazy exercises and basically creates clickbait through these exercises to make you think that he's got this secret magic to train these athletes through like these optimal exercises that get his clients results here's the thing is the the exercises that are going to get you results are pushing exercises pulling exercises squatting exercises and hinging exercises and then smaller movements that are going to work um, the accessory like accessory movements for your smaller muscle groups like shoulders biceps triceps um, calves you know things like that so compound movements are really where it's at multi-joint movements are really where it's at for building muscle and and basically putting yourself through a full range of motion and then picking exercises that fit your structure that are going to target the muscle the most efficiently in the way that you want to target them okay so what does that mean it means that you should be picking the basics right if you want to build your quads you should probably be doing some form of squat that allows your knees to travel as far in front of your toes as possible this is called knee flexion so something like a squat right if you are somebody who has a hip dominant squat in other words by the time you are at the bottom of your squat your hips are bent over a lot like your body is bent over and you are in hip flexion this means that you're you're bending at the hips a lot and you're really really arched over by the time you're at the bottom of your squat this means you have a hip dominant squat this is going to be better for building your glutes and it's not going to work your your um, quads as much so this is going to build your hamstrings and glutes a lot more than your your quads. So now you need to pick an exercise that is going to be more quad dominant. So this may be something like a hack squat or a leg press or leg extensions. And then you need to pick an exercise that is going to work your hamstrings and glutes, right? Glutes, I really like hip thrusts. I really like um, Bulgarian split squats and uh Roman chair back extensions. I really like those. Uh, 45 degree glute raises. Another one for hamstrings is RDLs. Dumbbell RDLs are probably my favorite exercise for hamstrings. And then just doing a basic leg curl. Those two will get your hamstrings pretty, pretty juicy. And those are good exercises for the hamstrings. But what I mean is you you have to know how the muscles work and what the primary function of the muscles are in order to pick exercises that are going to fit them the best. Okay, so long story short, um, most people are doing dumb exercises that don't actually target the muscles that they're trying to target. All right, last question. Is cardio good for fat loss? And this is from... Ken on Instagram. And this is interesting because I recently just read a study about long-term weight management and cardio and about how cardio is 
basically it was it was a study about hit hit training versus um, steady state cardio and which one is better for fat loss and b- body composition and basically the results from the study were they're both around the same they both don't have really really big impact on fat loss right but cardio is great for weight loss maintenance and what this one study found is that actually doing cardio in and resistance training is going to help you maintain your weight loss long term so weight loss is all about creating a calorie deficit most the most efficient way to do this is through your nutrition not through activity but activity does play a component in maintaining your weight loss so this is this is the, what the study found a recent study investigating a weight loss drug called liraglutide put participants on an eight-week low-calorie diet to induce weight loss before assigning them to one of four groups. Group one was placebo plus usual activity. So this is, they didn't receive the weight loss drug. They actually just received a placebo, and then they did their normal amount of activity, right? So most of these people were not exercising, so they just did their normal daily stuff. The second group was placebo plus exercise. So they did not receive the weight loss drug, but they were prescribed uh, cardio and exercise and strength training. So that group didn't receive the drug, but they they are doing cardio and strength training. The third group received liraglutide plus usual activity. And then the fourth group received liraglutide plus exercise. The placebo plus usual activity group, this is the group that did not do any particular exercise they did not receive the weight loss drug they regained six kilograms of weight loss so somewhere around you know 13 14 pounds of weight loss oh they they regained six kilograms of weight over the one year intervention so they regained pretty much most of their weight the placebo plus exercise group regained only two kilograms which was a statistically significant difference between the two groups Over that one-year period, the placebo plus exercise group also experienced a a 1.8 point reduction in body fat percentage, which is slightly better than the weight loss drug alone and significantly better than the placebo group with usual activity, which experienced a small increase in body fat percentage over the same time period. So pretty much what this is saying is the group that received the placebo plus exercise, the group that did not get the weight loss drug, but started exercising, they lost around 2% of their body fat, right? And they they only regained around two kilograms of their weight, which basically could just be from uh, lean muscle mass because they lost 1.8% body fat. So basically what this is telling us is that the group that did cardio, the group that did strength training was better at maintaining their weight loss, right? Two kilograms is not a lot of weight. It's like four pounds, right? So not much at all. And then even though, so even though cardio may not be great for fat loss, here are some things that it may be good for. Actually, some things that they are really good for. So number one is maintaining weight long term. And this is what I just talked about. But maintaining weight long term cardio is great for that. It's great for building up your aerobic capacity. 
It's great for improving your blood lipid profile, super important for your health long term. It's important for better glycemic control. This is important if you're pre-diabetic or if you have poor blood sugar control. So if you get hypoglycemic, hypoglycemic, then, you know, cardio is going to help a lot with that. Improving heart health. We know that, you know, improving cardiovascular health, improving your cardiovascular fitness is going to improve your heart health. Reducing daily fatigue through normal activities. So if you find yourself somebody who like wants to take a nap at two or three o'clock, cardio may help drastically with that. It'll actually give you more energy and reduce your daily fatigue. And there's tons of studies on this. Cardio is also great for improving your sleep. If you're somebody who has poor sleep, uh, poor sleep quality, poor sleep quantity, doing cardio on a regular basis is going to improve your sleep. And when you improve your sleep, guess what you're improving? Your body composition. So all of these things are going to help you lead to a better body composition. Even though cardio doesn't directly impact fat loss, it will impact the habits that you implement through doing more cardio. Another thing that will drastically improve once you start doing more cardio is cognitive function, right? How well you're able to use your brain through your daily tasks. So cardio helps a lot with that. And then the most important thing that cardio is good for is extending your lifespan. There's been a bunch of recent studies on zone two cardio and how it impacts lifespan and longevity. And so definitely start to get your zone two cardio in. And I'm thinking about doing a whole episode on zone two cardio. I'll need to do more research and kind of dig into the recent studies about it. But um, yeah, that's pretty much it for today's episode, guys. I'm going to wrap it up here. Thank you so much for listening. And again, just a quick reminder, I am going to be picking somebody this Friday who will win a free month of coaching who leaves a review, a written review on the podcast. So I appreciate you guys. The reviews have been helping out a ton. More and more people have been finding the podcast, which is the goal. I want to build this podcast as big and as and reach as many people as I possibly can, right? So I'm just one guy creating a podcast, just talking into a mic, you know, trying to help you guys out. I appreciate you guys for listening so much. I'm grateful for every single one of you. And I'll talk to you guys in the next episode. All right, bye.